Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello uh, we'd like to start out by acknowledging that we are coming to you from Wurundjeri country, the studios of 3CR here in Fitzroy, and you're joined this morning by myself, Emma Crunch, and Michaela, and excited to reach out to our regular Radioactive Show contributor, uh, Dr Jim Green. He's, of course, the nuclear-free campaigner with Friends of the Earth Australia. We are going to get an update from him about the harrowing situation in Ukraine and Russia's recent aggressions and some updates on the scary prospect of nuclear power and facility sites being under threat. And we'll certainly hear some more um, from Dr Jim about details of that. And later in the show, we'll, we'll get a bit of more of a local update about nukes in the election and various happenings here in terms of the nuclear chain. Excellent. Well, hi, Jim. Welcome to the Radioactive Show. Thanks, Michaela. Now, Jim, I spoke to you probably about a month ago now regarding the situation in Ukraine and Russia's aggressions there, and in particular, the various nuclear threats to power plants, waste sites, you mentioned in other facilities, as well as the possible use of nuclear weapons. Um, we're hoping you can give us an update on some of those aspects of the conflict. Yeah, sure. Um, well, since I spoke to you last, not a huge amount has happened, which is fantastic news because uh, there was the potential and still is the potential for a nuclear disaster on top of all the uh, disasters of, of the conventional warfare. Um, but if I can just run through the things that have happened quickly uh, since Russia invaded, uh, the Chernobyl nuclear power plant was taken over. There were no operating nuclear reactors there, thankfully. Um, some of the issues at Chernobyl have been the loss of power, which raised the risks of radiation releases, also the stirring up of a huge amount of radiation, well, a significant amount of radiation in the Chernobyl exclusion zone through the movement of troops, uh, and another problem was wildfires in the contaminated Chernobyl exclusion zone. Um, and that, again, stirs up radioactivity. And it's been very difficult to fight those wildfires because of the warfare. Um, as you mentioned, a couple of nuclear waste dumps have been targeted. Well, I'm not sure if they were deliberately targeted or inadvertently hit, but one radioactive waste storage facility at the Kharkiv branch of the Radon Enterprise and a waste disposal facility at the Kiev branch of the Radon Enterprise. Um, the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, the takeover of that operating nuclear power plant was, was and is the most dangerous aspect, the, the most dangerous nuclear threat of this war. Uh, Russia is now controlling that nuclear power plant um, it's been very difficult to keep staff uh, on site and motivated. Uh, and, of course, they've been terrorised and forced to work under Russian control. So that's still the number one threat. Um, in addition, a number of medical facilities, civilian industrial enterprises and research institutions that use radioact radioactive materials have been inadvertently or deliberately hit by the Russian military 
in particular a nuclear research reactor at Kharkiv that's been in the news every day for the past month or so. Uh, and that's probably sums up all the nuclear threats in a, in a nutshell. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's a live situation, so it's fantastic that we haven't had a nuclear disaster yet, but it still remains a threat. And one of the things that worries me is, you know, just the longer this goes on, how, you know, we've been lucky so far, but our luck might not hold. It's just difficult to uh, avoid disasters and accidents and deliberate or inadvertent strikes on nuclear facilities the longer this drags on and on. Mm, I mean... It strikes me that, yeah, you mentioned luck and sort of there's not, it's not that the situation is really reassuringly stable while these um, facilities and nuclear power plants are in a conflict zone. We can just see how precarious they are, particularly, as you mentioned, they need, you know, they need people to, who are trained to continue operating them and even just the conditions that um, Ukrainian workers must be experiencing does yeah it's still a very scary unstable sort of situation there but it is a relief to hear that as yet disaster has been averted yeah Yeah, um i think you've hit on the number one vulnerability i think which is staffing and uh that's just very difficult and of course the longer it goes on the more difficult it is to safely operate reactors when you've got fewer staff and when you've got terrorised staff and when you've got staff who are not motivated to operate uh, the nuclear facilities safely. Um, The other vulnerability, the other soft underbelly of this situation is that operating nuclear power plants need power and they need power to operate the cooling systems and, of course, they also need water for the cooling systems. Um, so we've had problems there at Zaporizhia and also at Chernobyl with the partial loss of power. And if you had, because Zaporizhia has got operating nuclear power plants, um, you know, if you don't have power or water, then you get a nuclear meltdown. It's as simple as that. Mm. Uh, and also one of the really important aspects of this whole nuclear situation is that uh, Ukraine is dependent on nuclear for a little over half of its electricity and because of that they weren't able to simply shut down their reactors as soon as the conflict began which would have been the logical and sensible thing to do in different circumstances so even as the russian military were taking over the zaporizhia nuclear power plant there were operating reactors there so that is really a nightmare scenario and thankfully um, you know, that didn't result in disaster and the, it was taken over fairly quickly and without much of a fight. But if you did have a real fight over a nuclear power plant, well, that's just a hideous situation. And Jim, as we approach the anniversary of the Chernobyl disaster, what do you think will be the focus for people in the nuclear free movement around the world? Well, I think a lot of us are really got our eyes glued to the situation in Ukraine um, and another, and obviously commemorating that disaster in 1986 and it's still a living, breathing disaster. There's still, they evacuated 350,000 people in 1986 and 1987 and many of those people are still dislocated and suffering the uh, radiobiological and psychological effects of the world's worst nuclear disaster. 
um, but still focused on Ukraine, and also we're starting to wonder and how this is going to impact the global nuclear power industry worldwide. We're really not at all clear how that is going to play out, but that will obviously be a significant factor in the coming months and years. Mm. And additionally, looking at the nuclear threats in Ukraine, we've seen recently Zelensky talking about a very real possibility that um, Putin could use nuclear or chemical weapons. What uh, is been your assessment of that threat at this stage? Yeah, well, I mean, it seems unlikely, but, you know, that we always tend to assume when we're doing this sort of thinking that you're dealing with rational actors. And I think there's good reason to believe that Putin is not terribly rational at all. I mean, the whole invasion of Ukraine in the first place was not rational. Uh, you know, the war hasn't gone to plan for Russia. They seem to be congregating in the eastern part of Ukraine now, and they've given up other places, like they've moved out of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant altogether, so that's back in Ukrainian hands. And uh, So, you know, what? how do you assess the likelihood of an irrational Vladimir Putin using so-called tactical nuclear weapons? It's an absolute possibility, and I don't know what follows from that, but, um, yeah, I mean, it is a, it is a small possibility. There's no doubt about it. All right, Jim, well, we might go to a song and come back and have a little bit of a chat with you further about some of the more locally-based issues. Sure. Okay, we're going to play Lest We Forget by Pataphysics. Masquerade the date, I'm our graves, flag raising hand to chest, political topos, oath of business, convicted Vader would have failed the national migration test, lest we forget all those dispossessed, they never confessed, obviously theft, the once whispers crept, secrets best kept, systematic nephew to decimate a race, a country who's still in love with blackface, right here every stand was once on that place, every suburb, shire, city, state, from dandy to Sydney to Taylor's Lake, to Lexi, three signs, box, and reserve, preserving in the memory of criminals who serve, exodus, original, blue from the land, killing and screaming, the invisible clan. Can't profit of West Papua like we did in East Timor. Racial discrimination acts suspended like that. Question of fact. That part I flash back. One for whites and another for blacks. Intervention forcing a 99 year lease. Removing communities. Paving a safe way for the thief. They call it a first world country. Third world life destruction. A silent world that a last state sponsored child abduction. We're forgetting the past. Shadows on the floor cast. Which generation will start making up for the last? Let's go. 
You're tuned to the Radioactive Show on 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We just heard there, Lest We Forget, from Pataphysics. And on the line, we've got Friends of the Earth Australian National Nuclear Free Campaigner, Dr. Jim Green. Jim, a question that I had about the Australia-Ukraine Nuclear Cooperation Agreement that was signed in 2017, that was clearing the way for Australian uranium exports to Ukraine. Is that something, are we we currently supplying uranium to Ukraine? Uh, We have, uh, not as we speak, but we have previously, so... The question arises, where is that uranium or its byproducts if it's already been through a reactor? And uh, we don't know where it is. Is it being safeguarded by the International Atomic Energy Agency? And the answer to that question is no, because it's not possible to carry out IAEA safeguards in any meaningful way during a war for obvious reasons. And why on earth did we sign this agreement in 2017? Because there'd already been low-level warfare and the seizure of Ukrainian land by Russia in uh, eastern Ukraine and Crimea in 2014. And that had already disrupted and undermined IAEA safeguards. And it was in that context that a bunch of mostly half-sleeping politicians uh, in the in the Parliamentary Treaties Committee conducted a sham inquiry in 2017. Um, They only let one NGO speak, which was Friends of the Earth, and you could tell that they just weren't interested at all and they were going to rubber stamp this agreement. So that's what they did. And the upshot of that, which was quite predictable, is that Australian uranium has gone to Ukraine and we've got no idea where it is, and we do know for a fact that it is not being properly monitored and safeguarded. And you could say the same thing about Russia too. You know, the, uh, we sold some uranium to Russia, not a great deal, but we don't know where that is, and we can say with a high degree of confidence that it's not being safeguarded. So, you would hope that the politicians would learn from these experiences and be more responsible and more prudent in future i wouldn't hold your breath because they're just consistently irresponsible and disinterested mm. Mm. thanks jim and turning uh inwards a bit more locally we all aware that we're in the midst of election campaigning and where do our 
Where do our major parties stand in terms of the breadth of nuclear issues coming into this election? Um, are there are there any differentiating points, and are they uh, you know are they giving it much attention? I, I haven't heard a whole lot um, discussed in the mainstream media. No, uh, very little attention. And superficially, there's very little difference. But I think it's interesting to look beneath the surface. I guess one point of clear difference is that the Labor Party supports Australia's signing and ratifying the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. Uh, So that's important. Mm. Superficially, they both support the plan for nuclear-powered submarines, but I'm not sure how, how... deep that runs within the Labor Party. So there might be a rethink of that that plan if Labor wins the election. Um, and one important point of difference is that uh, I'm not entirely sure what federal Labor's policy is with respect to the plan for national nuclear waste dumping timber because the Labor Party itself isn't entirely clear what its policy is. But I would think it's more than likely that Labor would scrap that plan for a national nuclear waste dump here in South Australia if they won the election, primarily because of the unanimous opposition of the Bangala traditional owners. Another difference is that we've had this ongoing drumbeat of support for nuclear power in Australia, well, for as long as we can remember, really, but that would certainly continue under a coalition government, but I think it would die out pretty quickly if a Labor government was elected. Uh, So that would be significant. Mm. And uranium is starting to become more topical. You know, for the past 10 years or more, it's been uh, just a low-level drumbeat of propaganda and no new mines and a couple of mines closing down. So we've gone from four mines to two over the past decade. But because, well, partly because of the situation in Ukraine, the uranium prices shot up over the past couple of months. So we'll just have to watch that and see how it unfolds. But it's possible that uh, mining proposals that were previously not viable economically, uh, they might become viable. So that probably doesn't matter too much who wins the election. It'll be an issue regardless of the election result. Mm, Thanks, Jim. So it seems that even if the ALP aren't explicitly trumpeting that many more policies that encourage nuclear-free or they are more likely historically to be campaigned on those or through what different members and positions um, they've stated in the past. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Of course, you can never be sure. You know, we assumed that uh, incoming Labor government under Kevin Rudd would be more responsible in relation to nuclear waste management. But Kevin Rudd appointed Martin Ferguson as the minister and he was just as bad as the Conservatives. Hmm. Signing on to the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons, that would be a significant step for Australia in terms of our commitment to peace and, you know, reducing hopefully finally eliminating nuclear weapons worldwide. And and I know there's a conference of the parties to that treaty coming up this year and that, of course, ICANN, the International Campaign Against Nuclear Weapons, have been heavily involved in bringing about that treaty and the ongoing campaign work. So that is one to keep an eye on in this election campaign and to continue to pressure the ALP if they were elected. I think we'll we'll touch base with the ICANN crew about that campaign in coming weeks. 
Yeah, yeah, it's hugely important, even though the Labor Party's policy is to carve out the US alliance so that signing and ratifying the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons wouldn't affect the the alliance with the, the US. I think it was, still would be a, a huge step forward and create a bunch of other opportunities. Um, so, yeah, that's um, really exciting. Uh, and then just all credit to ICANN and so many other people around the world that have just done incredible work over the past 15 years and it's been uh, so effective. Mm. Okay. Well, thanks so much uh, for joining us on the show today, Jim. And is there any final comments or things you wanted to let our listeners know about? Uh, Yeah, there's a Chernobyl anniversary coming up. It's this Tuesday, so if everyone could just have a think about that. There's a, a... a commemoration in central Melbourne. There's a uh, there's a forum on Chernobyl Day, which is organised by the Conservation Council of WA, which people are welcome to join in. Um, they can just look up the Con Council of WA website to find the details there or contact me at Friends of the Earth. Um, and that's about it. Thanks, Michaela. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks, Jim. And so, yeah, as Jim mentioned there, for uh, the anniversary of the Chernobyl disaster that is in Nam, Melbourne, a, a <clears throat> rally uh, for a nuclear-free Australia on Parliament steps. Uh, so that's Tuesday, 26th of April at 5pm. And... Yeah, we're not sure who's organised the rally, but I know a lot of yeah people in the nuclear-free movement will be getting down there, so that's a great opportunity. They're drawing together all those, um, you know, nuclear disasters, Chernobyl, Maralinga, Hiroshima, Fukushima, all at end, a call to end this nuclear madness now. Um Yeah, so and as uh, Jim also mentioned, if you're outside of Nam or can't come to the rally, uh, the online forum, you can join there. And uh, we're midway in through a week of global mobilisation to stop Lockheed Martin. So Lockheed Martin by far the largest weapons producer in the world. And, of course, their weapons are being used uh, in Ukraine right now, Yemen, Palestine, Colombia, Somalia, Syria, Afghanistan, West Papua. um, Yeah, all Mm. all across the world uh, they are profiting from from war and bloodshed. And uh, to point out the sort of size of this profit, Lockheed Martin's revenue from arms deals in 2020 was US $65 billion. Wow. Yeah, so incredible (laughs) in these times Mm. um, of of global crisis, of, of, um, you know, a pandemic and, yeah, everything that we're facing that, that this is where that kind of money is headed to um yeah so for folks here in australia uh you can join in actions as well so wage peace disrupt war you can uh find them yeah on facebook or other social media platforms 
and uh, yeah, there's going to be um, actions at in Mianjin on the 29th. And here in Nam, uh, there will be <coughs> a Antifa fashion parade at Lockheed on April 28th. So, yeah, I don't have more details on that now. Um, but as I said, yeah, you can find Disrupt War, Wage Peace uh, on Instagram or social media and the office here in, in Melbourne or in Clayton. So, Excellent. Okay, yeah. definitely going to check those actions mm. out this week. Wage Peace, Disrupt War. And we've covered Lockheed Martin over the years as well and their partnership with Melbourne University. They're definitely just mm. such a horrendous... Um, undertakings from that company. Absolutely. And um, we've seen the Australian government has just announced on the 4th of April that they're partnering with Raytheon and Lockheed uh, in a new guided weapons uh, program. So $1 billion they've committed to sovereign guide and weapons and explosive ordnance enterprise. Yeah, so very disturbing. Um, yeah. Mm, absolutely. Yep. Keep an eye on them. Yeah. Shut them down. Um, so you have been listening to the Radioactive Show uh, brought to you uh, live this morning from the studios of 3CR and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Big thanks to uh, Nuclear Free Campaigner Dr Jim Green from Friends of the Earth for giving us some really comprehensive updates. Um you can podcast our show on 3cr.org.au. That's 3CR website. And we look forward to bringing you more nuclear-free news next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.